All right, grab your Bibles and let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 136. Psalm chapter 136. <clears throat> We're going to um, try to study this psalm together. And again, our, our purpose is that it will, it will lead us into uh, being more mindful of, of um, things to be thankful for in our lives. And uh, I believe that's what this psalm is primarily about. But um, we're going to study it together and we're going to try to see um, exactly what it is that God wants to say to us tonight. Now, one of the things that, um, of course, this Wednesday night study is about um, learning how to study our Word. And one of the things that I've always told you is that depending on what genre you're studying also determines how you study it. Um, for example, um, wisdom literature. Let's take Proverbs. Um, we, that's one of the easiest ones to explain. Uh, many times people will study the Proverbs, and let's just take the Scripture that says, uh, train up a child in the way that they should go. And what does the rest of that say? When they're old, they will not depart from it. All right. Now, does that mean that if you train a child up in the way that they should go in the Lord, that they absolutely will not depart from it? Does that mean that if you... that 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 if your child departs from it when they get old, then you failed. Is that what that Scripture means? No. And the reason why we know that is because it was not written to be law. It was not written to be um, matter of fact. It was meant to be a general statement that of wisdom that this is generally true. So... Typically, if you will train your child up right, and you will train them in the love and, and admonish them in the Father's love, and if you will do these things, then they have a lot better chance at remaining in that path as they get older. However, it does not mean that they absolutely will. So that, there is a certain way to study wisdom literature in that genre, and there's a certain way to study, let's say, historical narrative, and so historical narrative's main purpose is to do what? Tell you about this is the history of this people or this person or, or the history of creation or the history of the law or it's, it's meant to fulfill a certain purpose in your life. Well, the Psalms are no different. What, kind, what genre would you say the Psalms are? Poetry. That's exactly right. So it is a poetic genre. And so when we, when we study this, we're going to be looking for um, expressions of emotions. We're going to be looking for imagery that, that paints a picture for us that, that may be um, just stating a fact alone cannot paint for us. So uh, we're going to be, be be looking at that. But one of the things that the now poetry in the the Hebrews uh, or the Hebrew language was not necessarily rhyme like we have it today. Roses are red, violets are blue, so on and so on. That's the way we understand poetry today. We look for rhythm in it, but that's not the way that we see it in the uh, the way the Hebrews understood poetry. One of the things that they wanted to do, they wanted to use something called parallelism. And parallelism was simply um, a way to say something 
and then say it again so that it either um, it either shows you the, the likeness in the two statements and expands it even further, or it says a statement again and it, it shows it to you in a way that contrasts, completely different. Um, the way of the wicked is like this, but the way of the good man is like this. And so it shows you... But you're looking for those kind of structures in the, in the Psalms. And I'm not going to go over all of that tonight, but um, one of the things that's the reason I bring that out is because this is one of the ways that you'll find the main themes in a psalm. One of the things you want to do is figure out what is the main theme of this psalm? What was the author's intended point when he put this psalm together? Okay? And so look at Psalm chapter 136, and we're going to read through it, and I want you to try to pick out for me a common theme, something that is, is repeated very often and, um, and try to figure out what our main theme is that we're going to be looking for as we study this psalm. And so let's begin with verse 1 in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Some of your versions may say His faithfulness endures forever or His mercy endures forever. And we'll get into a word study here in a minute. But my version says His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, Give thanks to the God of gods for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, Give thanks to the Lord of lords for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who made the great lights, for His steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for His steadfast love endures forever. Now another thing that I want you to understand is that one of the things that you're seeing here is a song that was that was done in a worship service, all right? And so one of the things that was happening here is the reader would make a statement. They call it a call and response. And so the reader or the worship leader would make a statement and then it was the congregation's duty to respond to that statement with a particular um, statement. And so uh, somebody look up Ezra chapter 3 verse 11. Can somebody find that for me real quick? Maybe you got it on your phone or you've got it, um, you can get to it real quick in your Bible. I could probably do better than that. Hang on. You got it? I forgot I had my phone up there. All right, so I want you to notice. Um, now, just a little context here. They had laid the foundation of the temple. The temple was being rebuilt. All right? And so in um, Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, it says in the English Standard Version that they sang responsively. So they were, they were responding and they were praising and giving thanks to God. And this is what they were saying. For He is good for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel, 
And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So here's what you see in this worship service. Basically, they were having a worship service and probably using one of these psalms. And the psalmist would make a statement. For instance, uh, give thanks to the God of gods for He is good. And then the congregation would say, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. And then they would shout over the fact that the God of gods is good and that His, His steadfast love endures forever and ever. And this is the way the worship service would go on. So when we go back to Psalm chapter 136, let me get back to it. So when we come back to Psalm 136, and we start reading. Uh, let's, where did we get to? Verse, uh, verse 7. Uh, let's go to verse 8. The sun to rule over the day, for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 9. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever, and brought Israel out from among them, and then verse 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Verse 13, to him who divided the Red Sea into two. Verse 14, and made Israel pass through the midst of it. 15, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage a heritage to Israel, His servant. It is He who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. And finally, it ends in verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. So somebody tell me, what is the focal point what is the main point of this psalm? What are we looking for? Huh? His love and His mercy. Alright, so we're looking for expressions of His love and His mercy because we want to see what it is about Him that expresses His love and it being steadfast and it enduring forever and ever, right? Alright, that's one thing. What is the second theme that's repeated very regularly? We've covered that one. That's number one. What is the other thing that you see constantly in this, repeated in this psalm? There you go. Give thanks. Give thanks. And notice in verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then notice in verse 4, how does it start? To Him. What to Him? Give thanks to Him, right? And so basically He stops saying it, but it's implied from here on out in every verse. So there's 26 verses in this psalm, and all 26 verses either say to give thanks to Him or imply that thanks should be given to Him because of this. And then this is the expression of how His love endures toward His people forever and ever. And so if I'm putting together a message or if I'm doing a personal study, let's say I'm going to preach this Sunday morning. 
The first thing I've done right here is I've read through the psalm and I have tried to figure out what was this author's original intent? What was he doing and what was his purpose for putting this psalm together? And I'm writing at the top of this thing, give thanks to God because His love and His steadfast mercy endures forever and ever. So I want to see how is it that this psalmist understands that God should be thanked because His love endures forever and ever. So basically, I know right now, here's what I'm looking for. I want to see the love of God from start to finish all the way through my life. And I want to see that it endures from the beginning all the way to throughout eternity, forever and ever, the love of God is steadfast, it endures, it does not stop. Do you all see that? Now the next thing that I do, so I've wrote my theme. I've wrote, here's what I'm looking for up on top of my paper. The next thing that I do is I sit down and now I want to outline it. I want to figure out what is it that this psalmist was structuring together so that I can kind of see. And now again, I'm going to look for common themes. Um, now the first thing I want you to notice, do you notice anything particular that we should look at in verse 1 through 3? Somebody tell me something in particular that we need to pay attention to in verses 1 through 3. Not in 1 through 3. But yes, it's coming. There's what I'm looking at. And here's the first step. You remember I told you there were three steps in studying the Scriptures? What were those three steps? Y'all remember? What's the first step of studying Scripture? Come on guys, it ain't been that long. Observation. And what question does observation answer? When you observe something, what are you doing? Observation answers the question, what do I see? The first step in studying the Scriptures is not to just try to start picking things out of your head. Look at it and tell yourself, this is what I see. And that's the first thing that Chris pointed out right there is here's what I see in verses 1 through 3. I see that in verse 1, we give thanks to who? Alright, and notice that Lord is in what? All caps, right? Now this should bring us to doing a little bit deeper study. Verse 2, give thanks to who? Verse 3, give thanks to who? So here's what I want to do. And I've already done it for you and I'll show you how we'll do it up here. But the first thing I would do, if you're looking up here on the screen... I would find me some kind of an app or some kind of um, concordance that can show me what this word Lord, what this word God of gods, and what this word Lord of lords actually means. I want to see what is it that this author is trying to get across that he said the same thing three times. Why didn't he just say, why didn't he just stop with verse 1? Why didn't he just say, uh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever, and just go on into the rest of the psalm. What's the need for two and three?
There you go. That's right. And so when did we translate it? What did, what did God, when Moses said, what is your name, what do I tell him? What did he say? I am that I am. It literally meant I am the self-existing one. I don't come from anyone or anything. Everything has its existence from me. And so what I would do is I would look up, and I'm using an app called Bible Hub, okay? That's what it's called. And basically, I just want to show you what I do here. Up at the top, across through here, you can see NIV, NLT, ESV, that's all different translations of the Bible, okay? And now I always click on the ESV because that's the translation I use. It's the one that I, I prefer the most. Now, underneath that, basically you see where it says STR? That stands for Strong's. And it's just a concordance that will actually bring up each individual word for you so that you can figure out what did he mean in the Hebrew when he said Lord? Or what did he mean in the Hebrew when he said God of gods? Or what did he mean in the Hebrew? So I'm going to click on that STR, all right? And now notice when I scroll down, the first thing that comes up is the first Hebrew word that we translate, give thanks. And this is what it means to throw, to shoot, to cast something. And so we're casting and throwing thanks toward God. All right. But then I go on down and notice here's where I get to the next part. To the Lord. And as Chris said, it's the proper name of God. We pronounce it Yahweh, but the way that we understood it was it was God saying, I am that I am. We pronounce it Yahweh in the Hebrew. All right. So this is the, notice and under it, it is also translated Jehovah, the existing one, the proper name of the one true God, unpronounced except with the vowel pointings of, and again, that's where we, that's, you don't need to understand that tonight. Here's the point. He is the existing one. I exist is what it means. And so it is the name that when the Israelites said, okay, if you're God, then what's your name? And God told them, here is my name to you. You shall know me as I am. I exist. And it was the covenant name that He gave to them. It was a name that uh, demonstrated the God of grace. All right. And so then, if you were to go to the next verse, and all I'm going to do is click this over button and go to verse 2. And then we'll go down, give thanks to the God. And then this comes from the first part. God is ruler, divine ones, gods, uh, just um, God in general. And then the next one comes from a word that means... Um, let me find it. It comes from a word that simply means divine being, exceedingly God, godness, mighty. I love that, that part, mighty, down there. It's a, it's a word that we pronounce it Elohim, and it simply is the God of strength and power, all right? And so here, here's what we'll learn, and I'll bring it out to you. But what you'll learn from this is that when you start doing the word study and seeing what the difference is, he's just simply using all the proper names of God that they knew him as. God, the self-existing one. 
God the mighty and strong one. God the king of all kings or the Lord of lords. And so he's laying out for you that this is the God that is self-existing, that everything gets its creation from. This is the God that is strong and mighty and a conqueror. This is the God that is the king of all kings. And so as we go down through this psalm, what you're going to notice is that he structures it according to this is the covenant God, Yahweh, and then, and then this is the God of, of might and power and conquer, and this is the God that is the master and the Lord of all, the King of all. But let's start in verse 4, and I want you to see if you can find a common theme. Or y'all look, y'all look to, from verses 4 through 9 and see if you can find a common theme about this God, how God expresses His, His uh, steadfast love, His, in, His enduring love. His creation. That's exactly right. And where do you see that at? When you're doing your observation, how did you come up with that? So the way that God expresses His love that endures forever, what's the first way God expressed His love? What did He give us? Huh? That's true, but that's not what you see right here. Remember, we're doing an observation and I'm going to try to teach you, get your eyes on the text. The creation. That's right. He gave us... The fact that He gave us the creation that you have today is an expression of God's love for you. He he built creation and then who did He give it to? Adam and Eve, right? He put them in the garden and said, it's all yours. Ain't but one thing that you can't do. Now maybe you should never have told them that because all that did was stir it up in them. If, if you tell your kid there ain't but one thing you can't do, what are they going to do? That one thing, right? Well, and so what we have here is that the first expression of God's enduring love. And so here's where I would focus my study and my message if I were preaching this Sunday morning. And again, I'm just trying to teach you how to study the Word. I would take some time to think about God's creation and how that expresses His love to us. He starts it off in verse 4 talking about its great wonders. And He did it... Did, did He do it with anyone in verse 4? All by Himself. Now, of course, we got to get into the, the triune God there, God the Spirit, but God is still one. Even though He exists in three persons, God is one. And so all by Himself, He created everything that it is. And then in verse 5, He did it by understanding. Have you ever thought about the wisdom of this creation? I would take some time to study on just the human body. Have you ever thought about the wisdom and the intelligent design of the human body and how it works and how it operates? And yet, there are actually people in this world that can look at the human body and say, a bang happened and it just exists.
That's right. And so that, that would have been one of the things that I would have brought up is by understanding He made the heavens. So His creation is, is built with such great wisdom, such great, great intelligence. And then the next thing I would look at is um, He spread out the earth above the waters. And so he, um, he, it all began with just water and then He separated it all and He brought the heavens out of it. And then He separated, the Bible says, the water from the water. Literally, He made the, the water that exists in the clouds and the heavens and then He separated and left the water that exists in the sea and the ocean. And then uh, the land that exists in between, the, the tri-cosmos there, if you will. But, um, but uh, that's something that I would just sit back and I would just think about. So if I were studying, again, I would take some time to just stop and just meditate on how this expresses His love for us. I mean, what is it about water? Or what is it about the, the heavens that, that show us God's love for us? You know? I mean, what does water do for you? Everything, right? I mean, you, your enjoyment from it. There's nothing. Who in here wants to live by the lake? or live by the creek, or you want a house on the, the river, or, I mean, you, you want to you, you live on the beach, you know, maybe. You want to you stay on the beach. But there is just something about water that just, when God gave us that gift, it is just something beautiful. David, when he looked up at the heavens and he looked up at the stars in the sky and he looked at, he, he looked at um, uh, the clouds and, and just the universe of the heavens, he said, what is man that you... So he saw the glory of God. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And it was such a gift to be able to see it. And then, of course, in verse 7, it focuses on, and the psalmist wants to bring our attention that we should give thanks to Him who made the great lights. The great lights. And then he, he expands on that in verse 8 and 9. The first great light is what? The sun. And the sun does what? It rules over the day. And I would take some time right there to stop and think about what does it mean that the sun rules over the day? What, is, what does the sun do for, for, for mankind? And how is that an expression of God's love toward mankind? Gives you energy. What would happen if the sun were to, to cease to exist tomorrow? So, I mean, the sun brings so much. And what happens to you? It, let's just say the sun is still there, but it's blocked for days. What happens to you whenever... What do we call a day that the sun is not there? Gloomy, right? And then what usually happens to you and if, if so many days of that goes by? <laughs> so... That's there you go. There's a prime example. And so, if I were preparing a message or I were teaching a, a sermon, I would probably think about something like that, and that would be an illustration that I would use if I was again, if I was preparing to teach and I was studying. So, one of the first things I notice in this is in verses four through nine. Here's how I would outline it. In verses one through three, I would outline um, the command, probably, or the goal, maybe. 
And then I would draw a line around verses 4 through 9. And I would, um, I would outline it, um, or I don't know, how would you outline it? Well, how would you label this? The gift of creation? Uh, the expression of God's love in creation, maybe? Um, or I may outline it, give thanks to the great Creator. Uh, I mean, you know, you could you could outline it, however. But I, but in in the in the midst of that outline, I would start writing out beside of it. Here is how He expresses His love in creation, and I would spend some time to just think about it and dwell on it. And that's what this psalmist wants you to do: is he wants you to stop and think about this, and he wants you after every statement to give thanks to God by responding how? His steadfast love endures forever. He gave us this. His steadfast love endures forever. He gave us this. His steadfast love endures forever. He did this. His steadfast love endures forever. It's been there ever since the beginning of creation. And then we move on to the next section in verses 10 through 16. And some of your translations uh, should give you stanzas. And so what I mean by that is they'll give you a break in between each stanza. What I mean by stanza is um, if you're looking at a songbook, the first verse would be the first stanza, the second verse would be the second stanza. And so that's kind of what you're looking at here. D does anybody's Bible not give you the stanzas? You don't have a break anywhere in there? Okay, so so it's not a bad translation. It's just not as helpful. All right, and so again, I, that's another reason why I like the ESV and and other um, uh, translations because of the fact that it helps you to study in this way. But in verses ten through sixteen, let's find the common theme. Okay. The deliverance of the Israelites. All right, well, let's look down through there. So Terah would call this the deliverance of Israelites, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, what, what, would, what do you see in it? Let's just go through them one at a time. It says in verse 10, He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Okay, all right, His power. He brought Israel out from among them. So He brought Israel out of Egypt. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, He brought them out. He divided the Red Sea. He made Israel pass through it. But He overthrew Pharaoh in this host in the Red Sea. He led His people through the wilderness. So what is, what is the common theme you see in that? His love for His people. All right. I would say, again here, if we're looking at the first section being the great Creator, I see the great Savior, the great Redeemer in this. And, and there's nothing wrong with you. If you're doing this study, you hit it right on the head with every one of your remarks. And so you could have just as easily developed an outline and focused on His... What did you say, Tara? the deliverance of the Israelites, and here's how God delivered. And then eventually, hopefully, it would lead to how He does it for us, you know. That's right. That's right. The great deliverer, um, or as what you say, Leanne? His power. So you can look at His power in what He did in these situations. But again, it's about how He expresses His love. So how did He express His love in this situation right here? 
He delivered, right? He redeemed. He brought them out of bondage. That's what this whole section is about. And so, uh, again, I'm putting down here, give thanks to the great Redeemer. Um, and his and his power and his might is shown here. Now that takes me back up to my study of how he labeled God at the beginning. He labeled him first as the self-existing one, Yahweh, the one from which everything gets its existence, which Nathan brought out, the creation, right? And then this next part, his power and might that he uses in delivering his people brings out the next section, the next name, which was um, Elohim, which was the God of strength and power. So we see that next, and then we'll go on and on. But when you look, when you spend enough time to study these Psalms and not just read through them, but to try to see what was this psalmist doing? How was he trying to structure this? It really helps you start picking things out and get the most out of it. So when you leave this psalm, you understand there are many reasons to give thanks to God, but one for certain. His love has been with us since the beginning of creation. It has been with us since He delivered us from the bondage of our slavery and done it mighty works in our life. And it has been with us so on and so on, and it will be forever and ever and ever. All right. And so one of the things that I would look at in verse 10, I see first and foremost, the first one don't look like an expression of love, does it? <laughs> but the psalmist sees this as an expression of love because on the one hand, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt, but on the other hand, what did he do in verse 11? So on the one hand, he destroyed people that were in rebellion against him. And on the other hand, he delivered people and he saved people. And so I look at that and I see that could God have just as easily destroyed the Israelites just like he did the Egyptians? Now... Here we get into what we talked about Sunday morning about the doctrine of election and being chosen and all that, but the fact of the matter is, I can't sit here and tell you why God didn't choose the Egyptians. But I can tell you one thing, He chose the Israelites. And I bet you the Israelites are thankful that He chose them, especially after what they saw that He did to the Egyptians. And so I look at this and I see that God has expressed His love to us and the fact that he redeemed us. He chose us. He brought us out. And He did it in verse 12 with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And He did it as He divided the Red Sea in two. And again, all of this comes back to these great wonders that He does. Verse 14, He made Israel pass through it. In verse 15, but what? So there again, you're seeing some contrast there. Sometimes the psalmist tries to put similarities together and he tries to expand on a common theme. And sometimes he makes a great contrast. He killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, but he delivered the Israelites out of bondage. And then that next one, he made, he made Israel pass through the midst of the Red Sea he divided, but he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And so he's making a big contrast at what at the difference in the way that he, he treated the two. But the fact of the matter is, 
the love that He has shown toward the Israelites, guess what? It endures forever and ever. Oh, no, yeah. When they all deserve wrath. The Israelites deserved the wrath of God just like the Egyptians did, okay? But we do. We see the contrast here. We see that the, the love that God shows, the mercy that God shows, it endures forever and ever. It has no stop to it. So again, I would label that one the Great Redeemer. Give thanks to the Great Redeemer. All right, and then verse, um, and verse 16. I would even go as far as to add one in this. And you could add as many as you want or as little as you want. But in verse 16 it says, to him who led his people through the wilderness. Because now we have moved out of the deliverance and now we're in the, in the wilderness. And I would add into this, uh, give thanks to the great guide. The great guide. The one who, because uh, again, I'm, I'm seeing this in light of the New Testament too. I'm seeing this not as an Israelite, but as a Christian. And I'm seeing that God has expressed His love to me through creation. God has expressed His love to me through um, salvation and redemption. God has expressed His love to me through um, guidance in my wilderness period. Because when you look at the Israelites, you understand He brought them out of Egypt, right? And then He brings them into the wilderness. What was that wilderness journey? What was that time like in comparison to, to us as Christians? So the the deliverance from Egypt will be like our salvation, right? Delivered them from Egyptians, delivers us from slavery, right? The wilderness period would be like right now what we're doing. And He didn't just leave us, He didn't just bring you out of salvation and say, okay, you're on your own. No, He guides you. He gives you teachers. He gives you His Word. He gives you uh, everything you need to get through the wilderness period until He brings you into the promised land, which we see next in verse um, 17 through 22. So somebody give me the theme of 17 through 22. What is, how does God express His love to us? What is God doing to express His love to us right now? Okay. And why, why was He showing He was above all kings? What was He doing according to verse 21? What was He going... What was it, why was He conquering these kings? So, here's something that I would think about. Because again, I'm reading this in light of the fact that I'm a New Testament Christian, not an Israelite. Now the Israelites read it and they understood that He's bringing us into the promised land. And He's destroying every opposition that's trying to stop us from getting there. I'm looking at this and I'm seeing it in our time period and I'm saying He is bringing me to a promised land. And He is destroying every opponent that tries to hinder me. Everything, every authority that rises up in my life contrary to God's direction and God's promise. And He is conquering each and every one of them one at a time to give me this land that He has prepared for me 
And I love the way that it puts it in my translation in verse 21. Gave their land as a what? Heritage. And then he repeats it again in verse 22. A heritage to Israel, his servants. What is a heritage? Here's where I would look it up. I, my phone's already went off, but here's where I would look it up in the Strong's and you would find that a heritage, what do you think it is? Anybody got a clue? Inheritance. There you go. That's a great translation. And what is an inheritance? So it's your possession. It's going to be yours, right? You will own it. And here's what he's saying. God is giving you a land and He's conquering everything in the past. And so one of the things that I... And remember the last word was He's the Lord of Lords or He's the King of Kings. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. The one who is conquering every enemy that we have that hinders us from going into the promised land. And He's giving it to us as an inheritance. It will be our possession. It will belong to us. And so again, this is another expression of God's enduring love for us. How does that express God's enduring love for us? How does that show you that God's love goes on forever and ever? Because this is an everlasting possession, right? It don't end. His love will never stop because the land that He's bringing you into never ends. It has no no, um, time to where now this will no longer be yours. On the other hand, any inheritance here, you remember when um, that man tore down his barns to build bigger barns because his crop did so good and um, he laid back after his barns were full and he said, Ah, I have many goods stored up for many years. Take back and rest and, and delight in it, my soul. And God said, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. And then whose things will all that stuff be when you're gone? In other words, can you take it with you? It's not an everlasting inheritance. Your parents love you. And if they leave you anything, it's because they loved you. Or or it's because they were able to and they loved you. But it will not be an everlasting inheritance. It will come to an end and it won't be yours anymore. But this expression of love will never end. It endures forever and ever and ever. And then finally in verse 23 through 25... See if you, this is a hard one to find. I just want to see if anybody finds it. Do you see anything that changes here? Okay. You are very close. Very close. When you said that he saw the trouble we were in. We. Do you see anything that's changed? What, what, who has been the focus up to this point? God has, but the people of... Now, what does this say? Is this referring to the necessarily just the people of Israel? What does it say? It is He who remembered who? Us. 
This is where the psalmist turns from just looking back at all that God has done and he says, consider this. This is the same God that has remembered us in our low estate. So he focuses, it goes to first person here, all right? And a lot of people wouldn't notice this because at this point, he's been focusing on he did this for them and did this for them. And now all of a sudden he turns it and he says, this is the same God that has remembered us in our low estate. And His steadfast love endures forever and ever. So the way I would structure this is give thanks to the God who continues to care for us. Not just for, as I've taught on other Psalms, our fathers and what He did for our forefathers, but this is the God that His love continues for us. Remember, the the Israelites, they're a product of this and they're looking back and they're saying, this is what God did. But now they're looking at today saying, this is what God did for us. He remembered us in our low estate. And then verse 24, and He rescued who? us from our foes. Not just the Egyptians, not just Pharaoh, not just the Red Sea that stood in their way. He has rescued us from our foes. So again, I see His continuing love, enduring forever and ever in verse 25. And it isn't just to Israel. Notice what God does in verse 25. That's right. So again, this psalmist comes down to the point that who, who should give thanks to God? First and foremost, Israel or the church. But finally, everybody ought to give thanks to God because this is the God that provides for all flesh and His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 26 Give thanks to the God of heaven. And this is where, again, if we were to do a word study, he ends it the same way he began it. But now he just uses a different name for God. He uses a name that was common for God that everybody would know. This is not Yahweh that the Israelites would know or Adonai that the, that, that the Israelites would know or names that were common to the Israelites But he ends by saying, this is the God of heaven. The God of everyone that should give thanks. Because even if he hasn't, even though the Egyptians were destroyed in his wrath, they still experienced the love of God, did they not? They still experienced the love of God. Listen, unsaved people out in the world today are experiencing the love of God. And so... Everybody ought to give thanks because His steadfast love, His loyal love endures forever and ever. So, somebody tell me, how does this apply to you? What should you give thanks to God for? Why should you give thanks to God? Is there anything you could look at tomorrow and say, God, thank you for or thank you for... God, thank you for expressing your love to me in the Son. 
God, thank you for expressing your love for me in the moon and the stars. God, thank you for expressing your love to me in, in the low times, for remembering me in my low estate. God, thank you for expressing your love to me in giving me a, a, a land for an everlasting heritage. God, thank you for expressing your love to me because God, one thing I know for certain, your steadfast love endures forever and ever. And I have every reason to give you thanks. So that's just the beginning of, of, of studying a psalm. Now, every psalm is not going to be structured the exact same way. But if you take some time to just look at it, observe it, try to figure out what is the main theme of this psalm, um, you would see, and then outline it as best you can. Try to see how the structure comes together. And those are just a few tips that you could do. And listen, this ain't something that you're going to do in 30 and 45 minutes. <laughs> you're going to spend, if you're like me, Ask my wife how many hours I spend studying for a Sunday morning sermon. How, many, how long do you think it takes me to prepare for a Sunday morning sermon? I ain't saying this boastfully. I'm just trying to let you know that it takes some study time. How long do you think it takes to prepare for a Sunday morning sermon? You're exactly right. 30 to 40 hours of study. That's right. That's, yeah, yeah. Even even if with the years I've already been studying, still takes that long. That's right. So I'm not telling you that this stuff is just going to jump out and say, "Here I am." <laughs> but I am saying that if you spend some time meditating on it, thinking about it, looking for these things, and you learn how to study in the right way, the Word of God will open up to you, and you'll see things like you've never seen them before. And this Word will become living and powerful as the New Testament declares it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie was the young lady. She's, she was here last Wednesday night, but... Um, She's been coming for several weeks now, and she's uh, she comes to our Sunday school every Sunday morning, and she's um, she's trying, but um, she she has no real Christian church background whatsoever. Don't know where to find the books of the Bible or anything like that, and so um, I hated that last Wednesday night of all Wednesday nights. Why do you come on the one that we're going to be teaching on one of the most difficult subjects there is? <laughs> Yeah, well, good. Right. Couldn't take it. That's right. Couldn't handle it. Yep. That's right. That's right. What were you going to say, Nathan? Well, I was going to say that's what takes me to do this week to study what I think. That's right. Study. You have to think rightly, somebody 
That's right. That's right. Again, it, 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 we have to meditate on it is what the psalmist would tell us. So spend some time with God. Yeah. Observation says, what do I see? And I want to keep my eyes on that text. What do I see in the text? Not just what does my brain automatically gravitate to, what's there? And then the, the second step is interpretation. What does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, what did God mean when He, what did the psalmist mean when He put this in there? And then the third step is application. Um, how does it apply to me? Now that, I, now that I know what it means and what God meant, now how does that apply to me? And how do I put it to practice in my life? And a lot of times you can answer that question by asking a few other questions. Is there a prayer to pray for me to pray here? Is there a sin for me to avoid here? Is there an uh, example for me to follow here? Uh, there's there's all kind of ex questions you can ask that'll help you with that. All right, any questions or comments tonight? I hope I didn't bore you too bad. Again, that's what this Wednesday night is for. I focus on teaching you how to study your Word. And so um, uh, one of these days when we get done with Revelation, we're probably going to go to the Psalms and we're going to spend some time just showing you how to study each Psalm and try to figure out... Um, how they wrote the poetry that they wrote. And I think you'll get a lot, a lot out of that. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Yeah, the, most of them they did sing. That's right. There were some of them that were just word expressions and they, they were spoken word, if you will. But uh, most of them were sung. Some of them were call and response. Um, some of them were wrote to this tune and that tune. And you see those when you, when you study as well. All right, well, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And um, again, most importantly, don't forget what this is about. Uh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, the, uh, the great Creator of all things. We owe many thanks to Him, especially because His love toward us endures from start to finish and forever and ever and ever. And He has expressed that to us in so many ways.